Hello, podcast listener. Buckle up for another episode of the Capo Podcast. If you've watched the news at all in the past few years, you may have noticed that most of the people running the country are quite literally extras from The Walking Dead. Unlike The Walking Dead, America had a really good run for a few seasons, but at this point, everybody is wondering how it is even still on the air, as it were. Fear not, dear listener, the Capo Podcast is here to shepherd you through the collapse of our beloved republic with silly jokes and fun commentary, perhaps a dash of insight here and there as well. Why, you may ask, why is everyone running your country 112 years old? Well, kids, it's because we are given the rulers that we deserve. They are all old and decrepit and corrupt because we just kept on voting for them, Republicans and Democrats both. Then they ensconced themselves, dug themselves out a nice comfy swamp, and there they've been since. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not the type to say, oh, it's both sides, they're equally bad. I still think the Democrat Party has done as much as it can to go all the way off the Marxist deep end and is bent on complete political domination. But the Republicans aren't really much better. After all, all their sons, daughters, in-laws, uncles, and cousins all work together at Raytheon, Boeing, and Lockheed Martin, or if not there, in any other corner of the bureaucratic leviathan that has been created, well, since the end of the Civil War. The people say they want a champion, but they're too distracted by sports, Marvel movies, cheap garbage, food, and technology to really commit to one. They still think they can drain the swamp at the ballot box, and there's really no talking them out of that. The few who are starting to notice that this is probably not an option are also watching Trump and the January 6th people and seeing what happens to those who dip their toes in the Rubicon without any intent to actually cross it. So what's to be done? Well, let me give you it like this. You are the swamp. Drain thyself. See to your families, your wives, your children, your churches, your clan, your tribe, your network of people. If you can accomplish that feat, then maybe think about branching out to your local school board or your local government. I promise you there are swamp creatures to fight in your backyard, but you waste your breath yelling at Yertle the Turtle, paddling around the swamp of Washington. We're playing the long game now. We are on the defense. Raise strong, resilient, moral children. Dig your trenches in your local communities and prepare for the siege to come. Support local businesses and your friends in their endeavors. You know, like the Capo Podcast, which you can support by following the link at the end of the episode description. You know, 99 cents, a buck a month, five bucks a month. It all helps us keep the lights on and the cameras rolling so we can be a beacon, a lighthouse out here on the prairie. I bet you didn't think I was going to roll that into an ad for the podcast, did you? Nope. Well, let's start the show. I'm getting too long on those. It's okay. I disagree. I think they're getting a little long. <laughs> I was just take for granted that anyone listening is, just knows who I'm talking about when I say Yertle the Turtle. Understand that.
wondered if you thought that was FBI open up worthy. Oh, yeah. Welcome again, dear listener, to another episode of the Capo Podcast. This week, I have a new guest, uh, my pastor, Jason Toombs. Um, he's here to, to help me lead you all through the, through the darkness we're facing in the culture, or to set me straight. I haven't decided which one yet. Probably a little of both. There we go. <laughs> uh, before we get right into it, uh, I'm... He's already bought one, but I'm going to give him both copies of book one and book two of my series because I always put them up, you know, as an ad. Uh, but there you go. Thank you, sir. Signed because you have one, but it's not signed. That's and fine. so very special. Once I get famous, they'll be worth a lot of money, I'm sure. Yeah, and then I can sell them, right? Right. Please do. That's Why do you think I give them away as gifts? It's the long game, once again. Yes. Well, welcome to the show. Um Please go ahead, introduce yourself, tell the people who who I'm dealing with here. All right. Uh, so I'm Jason Toombs. I'm Sam's pastor, as he mentioned. Um, I, I, I got a couple of complaints that I want to lodge with you, sir. Very good. Listening to the entire backlog of the catalog, I, I listened to it over about a week, maybe two weeks time period. And I don't know if uh, Adam can see, but I mean, I'm quite round. <laughs> and one of the, the challenges that I have for you and that you had for yourself is to lose weight. Yes. When, when before, about a year ago, I was about 400 pounds. Wow. So we're on the same journey, you and I. Yes. And when you guys called me, I was about 360 and now I'm down to 340. Oh, you're making it. And I'm, I'm slowly but surely making it. So, uh, thank you, but also, well, I would have some other words to say, but <laughs> I am a pastor after That's all. That's true. I, you know what? I am a little harsh, and it's because I, like, I, I started at about 300, um, and that was, I've been there twice, and the last time was when, right before we had our first kid. Yes. But. So, uh, so a little bit about my background, uh, originally from Texas, uh, from the Houston area, but my family lived pretty much all over Eastern Texas, pretty much spent some time in Fort Worth, spent some time just out past San Antonio, uh, really in the heart of Texas in the Waco temple, Colleen triangle. Um, so that's my, my history about myself. Um, my grad school or my, my divinity school, uh, I went to Concordia theological seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana where I met my lovely wife. Uh, she's from up near Chicago, and I, I heard about Chicago making the news yeah. on last week's podcast, uh, as well as New Mexico, and understand the reason why. Uh, one of the things I joked with her dad about was, um, if you hold a deep dish up to your ear, you can hear the gunshots off in the distance. <laughs> so, uh, be that as it is. You know, we, I was supposed to be here last week, and I really wish I was, and I wasn't here today. But today is the 15th Sunday after Pentecost, and I want you to open the bulletin. I brought a copy of the bulletin here with me. Good. And uh, I want you to open it up, and we're going to read part of the epistle lesson. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is, is, there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resist, resist what God has appointed, 
and those who resist will incur judgment. We'll stop reading there from Romans uh, chapter yeah, 13. I, I'm very guilty. of th- this, is, this is probably the most guilty I am of my, of my shortcomings. So uh, I want to talk about January 6th. Good. Briefly. I, I for one, I, I respect the governing authorities. And, and January 6th is a big deal for me. Now, uh, can you elaborate more on what, on happened, what, I, on, on on what happened on January 6th? Okay, you had the the large Trump protest, which I, abs- I'm not a. I, you've heard the podcast, so you know I'm not a yeah. fan. Right. Um, yes, it was an instigation of the protest to go down to the Capitol and and enter the Capitol to, to, protest or throw a fit about what Trump viewed as a stolen election. Okay, so we're talking about two different January 6th events. You're talking about the secular. I'm talking about the sacred. I'm talking about epiphany and the the manifestation, the coming of Jesus to the Gentiles, to you and me, non-Jewish people. And so when I talk about the governing authority, I mean the church. Ah. That's what we're supposed to be talking about today (laughs) as your pastor being on the show. So I wanted to use that as a way to talk about the church a little bit. Now, Sam will gladly offer you a red pill, and there will be many out there who offer a blue pill, trying to go along to get along. I had that in the sermon last week. But part of the thing is there's not only a red pill and a blue pill. You've talked a little bit about black pills. Yes, black pills. They are the worst of pills. I was about to say, I think he gives more like... (laughs) You think I'm more of a black black pill person? Yeah, yeah. You know... You, you have to read the entirety of my book series to really understand that they're, they're not a black pill. It's, a, it's like Fahrenheit 451. You get to the end, and there's, there's a lot of hope, but it's, it's at the end. Yeah. yeah. And, and speaking of hope, I'm here to deliver a different pill, a white pill, if you were. I like it. Yeah. So that's what we'll be talking about today, white, a white pill. Uh, in the church, a white pill is kind of the holiness and purity and chastity. In other words, what God gives. One of the things is I wear black with a little bit of white showing. Black in the church is the color of sin, transgression, immorality, and all the things that the devil desires to impart in sinful humanity. So where are we going from here? In a world where societal norms are constantly being challenged, changed, and sometimes cringe, right there, Right. we need a constant in our life. Just as sailors who sailed by a moving star or always wandering off course and never sure of their destination or well, where they end up going. We need a North Star that is fixed if we want to do better, to be better, and to be, of course, blessed. So basically, we need God in our lives. God gives guidance, clarity, and constant consistency in the scriptures. So we're going to be talking about the scriptures today a little bit. We've already read from the book of Romans a little bit, but there are many churches these days who are waiting for the next move of the Spirit, whatever that means, because they don't realize that there are good spirits, the Holy Spirit and the angels being some, and then there are bad spirits, the devil and his fallen demons. We don't like to talk about those. I know, but we have to. We're in the well, church. We, I, I like but others. I know. The movement of the spirit, the devil, is away from God, away from normalcy, away from decency. So pretty much what we see going on in the world all around us. 
After all, the Bible says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Thus far, Paul, to the Ephesian congregation. So, what are we talking about today? There are many churches, mostly progressive churches, who desire to follow the zeitgeist of the age, while other churches hold firmly to the word of the Lord and desire to never let it go. There are a few main differences between them that is often referred to as the mainline liberal Protestant churches and their confessional counterparts. Now, before we jump into some of these differences, two main ones, what do you think about the world? I know what you think. I know what you think about the world. But the people. I know. So in I, the I will say, like I zeitgeist is a is a word that a lot of people don't understand what it means. So that's something that we probably I don't know, I, I think I've said it on the on the podcast before, but a lot of people don't understand what people mean when they say the zeitgeist. Right. And the spirit of the age. Yes. The whatever the, the masses are feeling as the culture really, I, I would say, is Correct. the culture of the the time and place in which you live. Yes. So the zeitgeist is really kind of a, a fancy German word, as a lot of fun German words are. Uh, we're, we're planning on having a potluck next month at Grace and Liberal, uh, and we're going to have an Oktoberfest. So we're looking at uh, German food, Bavarian food, uh, Austrian food, you know, good hearty food, like Wiener Schnitzel yeah. and Strudel mm. and a Spatzel. So again, some of those fun things to say. So zeitgeist is another fun thing to say. But yeah, it's really just the, the way in which the world operates and, and kind of the, the moving of, of one spirit in this world. And so as we kind of think about that, we're thinking about what's going on. How is society changing? And the progressive mindset, well, it's not always changing for the better. It's always changing, but change isn't always for the good. After all, changes in our body are sometimes called what? It begins with a C. Cancer. Cancer, that's a change in the body. Never good. Not a good one, no. No. I mean, sure, some good can come out of it. God brings about good from bad things, but cancer, that word, scares a lot of people. And so when we're talking about the change, we need to stay focused on what the change is that we're wanting to do. Now, change, as far as repentance, is a good thing. It's a God-pleasing thing, turning from ourselves and turning back to God. But if we're always turning away from God, well, we're not following God anymore. We're following the, the principalities of this world, the devil. And so 
Let's look at a few of the differences between the mainline liberal Protestant churches and their confessional counterparts. So we start with the Bible. For the mainline liberal Protestant, the Bible contains the Word of God, whereas the confessional church bodies, they say that the Bible is yes. the Word of God. Now, we might need to talk about, before we go on, what it means to be a confessional church. A confessional church body is one that has confessions or one that has creeds or doctrines of faith. So the ones that have these doctrines of faith are ones that make a proclamation and they stick to that proclamation. Whereas the mainline liberal Protestant churches, well, you kind of hear it in the name, liberal, they're always wanting to go away from their confessional writings, their historic documents of the church, and seeing what the Spirit is doing in our day. And so, again, these are more of the progressive churches. So, saying that the Bible contains the Word of God allows them to distance themselves from God's Word, especially, well, what they'll talk about is, well, Paul says that homosexuality is a sin, but Jesus never, never said. said yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. So, as they hear that, and as we hear that, we need to make a proclamation of what Jesus does say. Jesus says that every word of the Old Testament, including the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, is good, right, and decency, or decent thing that God has done in the history of humanity. Because he's stamping out sin. He's stamping out gross violations of his holy word. I think a lot of times, especially when you get to talking about the Old Testament, secular people... And I think this is more mod it's a more modern take than than old take is secular people look at read the Bible. Maybe they read a little bit of the Bible and they read some of what happened in the Old Testament and they're horrified by it, by by the things that happened. And I don't what I think is I don't think enough of them understand the depths of human depravity that can exist even at a, at a societal or a cultural level. So when you talk about the flood, they think, well, what a terrible thing God did. And it's like, you, you haven't looked deep enough inside your own heart to understand how dark, how, how deep that darkness of humanity can be, is something I, I don't know. That's just a thought that I always have. No, it, it's true. It's um, part of the reason why pastors wear black. We're sinners just like everyone else, uh, and we have that realization that we are sinners. Um, but we are also God's spokesman, so a little bit of white showing, uh, proclaiming the word of God. And so kind of focusing in on that, well, is that them being anti-Semitic? I mean, that's one of the things that we hear constantly in our world being thrown around. I don't know. You're not allowed that. to do that. Oh, uh, I'm not? Okay, I'm sorry. I don't think anybody's allowed. Well, I don't know. We're small enough that nobody... <laughs> I know, but again... For those who deny the history of Old Testament Israel, I mean, they're being anti-Semitic. Yeah. But it's just a different way of interpretation of how you talk about things. And if that's all we're talking about, it's just different interpretations. Well, then we're no one's ever right. Everyone's always right. Right. All right. Going back to what we're talking about. So in the New Testament documents, we have Jesus. If Jesus doesn't bring up something for the mainline liberal Protestant churches, it's not important. It's not important enough to preach. It's not important enough to teach. It's not something that should be taught in the church. It's not something that should be brought in the church. It's not something that should even be brought up in polite conversation. Because after all, what are the two things you're never allowed to talk about? Politics and religion. And yet what was often going on during the, the Revolutionary Wartime period? 
Politics and Revolution, we're at the bar. Mm-hmm. At the bar. All right. So a secondary focus that differentiates the mainline liberal Protestant churches and their confessional counterparts is who is the focus? If we're talking about the mainline liberal Protestant churches, they have a worldly focus. If we're talking about the confessional churches, they have a godly focus. So what does this mean? What is the focus of our life together in the church? In our, in our church, it's around the word of God. In mainline liberal Protestant churches or within the Unitarian Universalist church, it's whatever gets the people in the doors. Right. And so you have... Which is talking about them. Correct. Me. Yes. Talking about me, myself, and Irene. Or if, you don't, if you're not a fan of Jim Carrey, you can talk about Toby Keith. I want to talk about me. I yeah. want to talk about my. I want to talk about number one. Yeah. So, and then the second question along those lines is, do we hear about what we do or what God in Christ has done for us? So, in mainline liberal church, Protestant churches, you hear especially about what you can do for God. After all, it's about what you do. It's not what God has done. So, you hear especially... And this was even in Luther's day. You would hear sermons on such wonderful things as how to properly plant potatoes to increase your harvest. Or these days, how to have a better sex life in the month of February. Wonderful things to talk about, right? In the church of all places? God forbid. So, is what we do in the church for humanity or what God does for us? So, yes, there are certain things that we do for one another. Food banks homeless shelters, things like that. We want to make sure that everyone has a safe place to lay their head down. We want to make sure everyone has food for their bellies. And this is one of those things we talk about cooperating in the externals. But within the church, we should be worshiping with those who have the same belief. And so we'll see that a little later on in the mainline liberal Protestant churches and how that separates them from us. So... uh, in, in addition to what God does for us as opposed to what we can do for humanity, this is something that separates the Lutheran churches by and large from a lot of the other denominations out there. And then uh, another question that we have to ask, and, and this is one that I know that you've asked, just not in this way. Who is the one that we should never offend? Our common man, woman, or child, or whatever nonsense passes around for those these days, intergender, whatever you may have, or God. So the mainline liberal Protestant churches basically say we should never offend the trans, we should never offend those who have different beliefs than us. We just ought to come together around a campfire, but never indoors, because then the fire marshal would be on to us and sing Kumbaya. Well, that gets people in the door. I, well, does it though? Well, I don't think so. I'm I'm with you, but that's the that's the that, that's I think that's a lot of the thought behind. That's it. That's the thought behind it, but does it really? I don't think it does. A lot, especially of, when you look at the younger generation and the rates of the rates of of kids under the age of 25 that go to church. It it does like the church has only got more inclusive, and there are less and less and less young people going to church. So obviously that idea is not working right and so i mean we see this especially in the mainline liberal protestant churches a lot of them band together to to kind of have a a somewhat sizable flock but even those flocks are dwindling in these days because i mean you've talked about replacement rates and everything else that 
people aren't having kids and they're not making converts, so therefore your numbers are going to start shrinking over time. Uh, one of the things that I've seen, especially within our church body, uh, about the evangelical Lutheran church in America, the bad guys, yeah. is uh, that their plan, uh, the thought is if the current uh, trend holds, they're not going to be a church body by the year 2040, and it may even be 2035, uh, just depending on how quickly things change and how quickly a lot of people and a lot of congregations are leaving that church body and just how quickly they are imploding uh, from their own from their own actions in the past. Do you think that, um, I think Americans and maybe some other Western countries think of, like a lot of places throughout history thought of things in a very long-term way. And we Americans think of things in like a generational way. And so maybe we don't see that, like that tidal wave coming of like, we, we don't, we don't look ahead and like, man, we're going to be, you know, there ain't going to be anybody in church in 40, 80, 100 years because none of our kids are having kids and the ones that are maybe didn't come to church anymore. Yeah, and, and that, that really kind of resonates with me. I, I think it's the, the Polish, the Orthodox Church in Poland, I think, and, and this, I'm just going from memory here, um, that they're, one of their, their bishops or, or whatever the, the top guy is in, in this particular church body um, he said uh, he will come and personally baptize the second child and third child and fourth child of each family. And so that way it was a way to get the bishop, get the, the head guy in charge uh, to come to their church. And so that way you would have uh, more, uh, it would go around to the churches and, and just baptize all those second and third and fourth kids in the family so that way it was an incentive to have more family, more kids in the home. Um, because, well, we kind of see what's happened uh, historically to, to countries that have a lack of kids. So. Yeah, they, they stop. Uh, they, <laughs> they, they exist stop. anymore. Yeah, and, and one of the things that we could talk about uh, another time would be, um, would be something that you guys brought up in a different way last week, but uh, would be vocation. Uh, the, the doctrine or the teaching on on what it means to, to live in our callings in life. But like I said, that's going to be another topic for an, another day. Right. Um, so back to what we were talking about. So what are we talking about when we're talking about the mainline liberal Protestant church bodies? So here here's one that we're talking about, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. I've already said they're the bad guys, especially compared to us, the Lutheran Church Missouri. I think you call it everything Luther cautioned, cautioned against. against. Yes, that, that's one of the, the easy ways to, to know the acronym, the ELCA, everything Luther cautioned against. And so uh, they are ones who are belong to the mainline liberal Protestant churches. So what, what these churches are, they're Protestant churches, so they're not Roman Catholic. Um, and, and by saying they're mainline, uh, it, it comes from New York where there was a mainline through town, and it was a lot of these churches were found on that mainline through town. And so they're also liberal churches because, well, they don't hold to conservative or confessional values. And so we see, especially the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, uh, it, was a con uh, it was a combination of three former church bodies, the Lutheran Church in America, uh, who we were never in fellowship with, the LCMS as far as uh, we were looking at possibly going into fellowship with them, but we were never in fellowship with them. 
Um, the American Lutheran Church, they were a church body who we were in fellowship with, but as they were starting to drift further toward the Lutheran Church in America, a more liberal church, liberalizing church body, uh, that fellowship broke. And then an offshoot from Seminex, uh, a walkout that happened in the 1970s within St. Louis of the Lutheran Church Seminary in St. Louis, um, Concordia, uh, Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, um, the AELC con uh, congregations, the American Evangelical Lutheran Churches, um, these three church bodies combined together in the late 80s and formed the ELCA. And so they went from being second um, behind the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod to all of a sudden being the top church. Lutheran yeah, the church most. in America um, because they, they combined these three different church, brand, or church bodies into one, so they le leapt us as far as uh, new numbers, numerical growth. So they had a, a, a head start on us, but ever since then they've been dwindling and they're, they're dwindling quite severely these days. So uh, another church body that's in fellowship with them is the Presbyterian Church USA. So what these are, these are Presbyterian. So they're reformed churches and they're much like the ELCA as far as what they believe. They're in full doctrine and pulpit fellowship, or full alternate pulpit fellowship, which means you can have an ELCA pastor presiding at a Presbyterian, Presbyterian Church USA church, church uh, and also you can go to their communion rail. And so this is something that, has, as far as we're concerned, is, is verboten that we should never do because there are historic reasons that they are Presbyterians and, and we are Lutherans. Lutherans. Right. Um, because there are there are doctrinal differences, um, but for the mainline liberal Protestant churches, they say doctrine divides. We need to build unity. And so, another one of the church bodies that falls within the mainline liberal Protestant churches is the American Baptist Churches USA. Not to be confused with the Southern Baptist Convention. We'll talk about them a little later. So, the American Baptist Church USA. Uh, they are one of the ones who are not necessarily in agreement with the ELCA as far as altering pulpit fellowship, but uh, they are another mainline liberal Protestant church body. So these are the ones that are kind of following the, the winds of the day and being drifted uh, from the center, drifting from the rock that is Christ. And then within the Christian church, you have the disciples of Christ. Um, these are, are those who uh, have also left what they held to in the past and they're kind of being a little more worldly, so to speak. And then uh, you have the Episcopal Church, not to be confused with the Anglican Church, and we'll talk about them uh, under the confessional church bodies. Uh, there are a lot of Anglican churches here in America that are not technically in fellowship with the Episcopal Churches here in America, but they are, but not really. It's weird. Um, and then you have the United Churches, or United Church of Christ, and then, of course, everyone's favorite, the United Methodist Church. And they're no longer united, or they're still united a little bit, but they're not global anymore, or at least that's the way things are going. Um, and then you have uh, some similar church bodies with the Reformed Church in America, again, another of the Reformed branch. Um, something that's around here, the Mennonites, and then also the... Uh, um, the uh, Society of Friends or Quakers, if you will. So there's I a couple. A couple Quakers growing up. That was a yeah. There, there's there's, there's a, a fellowship. There's a, a fellowship church uh, in in liberal that's that's Quakers or Society of Friends, Friends Church. Sorry, not not fellowship. 
Um, and then the Moravian Church in North America, uh, they're kind of like Lutherans, but they're not Lutherans. <laughs> Everything's a little weird. And then the, the Churches of the Brethren, or the Church of the Brethren. Uh, so these are kind of liberal, mainline liberal Protestant churches, but not really because they weren't found on that main line in New York. And so, uh, so what are we talking about when we're talking about full communion fellowship with the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America? So again, these are the, the ones that, uh, the churches that you can easily have one of their pastors being your pastor or being a fill-in for a week. Um, this was seen especially uh, up in Concordia where I was a pastor at, uh, at a mission plant where uh, we were renting from the, the former uh, Episcopal church there. And uh, went, during their final years, uh, they brought in an ELCA pastor to be the pastor over the congregation um, just because of distances for the Episcopal pastor. He was too far away. And so they were, they were the ones who um, were able to come in and preach and teach and give communion and everything else because they're in fellowship with one another, uh, even though there are doctrinal differences aside, but doctrine doesn't matter for them. So the, the churches that are in full altar and pulpit fellowship with the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America is the Presbyterian Church USA, uh, the Reformed Church in America, the United Church of Christ, the Episcopal Church, uh, the Moravian Church, and then, of course, the United Methodist Church, because nothing really matters and everything's up for debate these days. <laughs> Everything's made up and the points don't matter. Yeah, exactly. So uh, a little bit of whose line is it anyway, uh, as far as who, who's in the pulpit. Uh, so I know some of this is kind of boring, a lot of it. Hey, I, I'm loving Like, we, we talk about, every once in a while we'll talk about the church on the podcast and, and the state of the Christian church at large. And that's something that I, I, don't, I don't feel qualified to talk about. A lot. That's why I'm pumped to have you on because I think that having somebody on that knows the ins and outs of it is is a good thing for me. I don't know the ins and outs. I, I just do. You know I, more than I do. I just, I just do a cursory reading. Uh, okay, so what are we talking about when we're talking about confessional churches? So these are the churches that I said earlier. They have creeds. They have confessions. They have documents where they, they write down what it is that they believe, teach, and confess. Um, so the, the first of the creeds that a lot of confessional churches have, except the Baptist, but they're Baptist, but we'll get to them in a minute. So the first confession or first creed is usually the Apostles' Creed. It's the baptismal creed. It's the creed that is handed over to the one being baptized and who they will hand back to the church as they confess what they believe about God using the words of the Apostles' Creed. And then you have the Nicene Creed, which is a little longer takes about an extra two or three minutes in the service to say the Nicene Creed because it goes into a little bit more detail. And then you have the creed that's only confessed once a year on Trinity Sunday, the Athanasian Creed. Uh, that, that is longer. Long. It's longer still. It's two whole pages in our current hymn, or in the LSB, the Lutheran Service Book, uh, which is not the current hymnal at our church here in Beaver. But anyway, so... Um, and, and what the, the Athanasian Creed, uh, it was all the creeds... Um, basically are given to talk about who God is, um, mainly the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, and what it is that the church believes, teaches, and confesses about him. And so a lot of times the creeds were given during periods of time where there was um, differences division. being division, differences being debated and dialogued. And so uh, during times of division, you want something that unites the church, and this is what the creeds are designed to do. 
and the Athanasian Creed wasn't written by Athanasius, but it was attributed to him because of his staunch belief in Jesus as the second person of the Trinity um, from eternity. So from the beginning, uh, even before time began, Jesus was at the right hand of the Father. Um, and then he will come in time and space, being born of the Virgin Mary, and then ascending back to the right hand of the Father to reign and rule in heaven. And so the Athanasian Creed is really focused on who Jesus is, and the, that's the second half of the Athanasian Creed, and in the first half focuses on the aspect of God, what it is that we believe about God, that he is triune. That means he's three in one and one in three. Um, we don't confuse any part of the Godhead, and we teach the Godhead uh, from the Creed to, to the people, so that way the people know who God is, especially the God who intervenes to save. And so... Uh, any questions about any of that no, thus I'm, far? I'm just enjoying. I, well, I, like I, everything I have would would put us like off off path, going down a rabbit hole. All right. Well, I got but I got a little bit. That's more. why I want to let you go. I know. <laughs> uh, and then we'll we'll get off into the rabbit. We'll get off into the weeds. Yeah. Um, so looking at the the first confessions of the church. Um, so coming out of uh, the the Catholic Church, so the Universal Church. Uh, you have the Lutheran churches uh, coming uh, from the Augsburg Confession dated uh, June 25th, 1530, uh, where the Lutheran princes were brought before the Emperor Charles V to make their confession, what, the, what it is that they teach and what it is that they believe in their lands. And then after that, you have <coughs> within the Reformed churches, you have the Tetrapolitan Confession, uh, July 9th, 1530. And I don't know about you, but I have no clue where... Uh, Tetrapolitan is, uh, but it's the Strasbourg or the Swabian Confession, so Strasbourg, France these days. And so the Reformed churches, uh, you'll have uh, a lot of influence early on from Zwingli and then later on from Calvin and Hobbes, and that's why you have Calvin and Hobbes as right. a comic. Um, and then you'll have the Roman Catholic Church, which is established uh, from the Council of Trent, where they this is the first time that they write down what it is that they believe, teach, and confess, basically. Um, and the years from that is 1545 when they first met, and then 1563 was when that council finally ended. Uh, it went on and off. It was on especially for the first few years, and then they took a brief period during wartime, and then they started meeting again. And then within the Anglican churches, you have the 39 Articles, which uh, formally talk about what it is that the, the Anglicans believe, and that's the year 1571. And then uh, for the Baptists, we're finally getting to them. Uh, in 1644, you have the first uh, Baptist Confession of Faith, and then in 1689, you have a second, the London Confession of Faith. So what it is that they teach so it wasn't John the Baptist. No, of course not. <laughs> every, every church wants to, to claim John the Baptist as their own. Um, and you'll see this especially with the independent fundamental Baptist. Uh, they claim it's John the Baptist who starts the church, but it's all a lie. Even, even they don't believe John the Baptist started the church because Jesus is the one who starts the church. Um, and then as far as the, the final confessional church body, as far as I'm concerned... Uh, is the Congregationalist, and that's from the Savoy Declaration in 1658. So a lot of these are old confessions. Yes. And then you'll have confessions being updated from time to time. 
So we'll finally get to talking about the Baptists since we're I'm, I'm now back in Baptist territory, or at least that's the way it feels in liberal since you have about eight. no, it, it is here too. <coughs> it's the it's probably the biggest church in town here. Well, I mean, in, in liberal, you got eight different Baptist churches, yeah. and so uh, for, for the Baptist, for the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, I grew up Southern Baptist on my dad's side of the family, my mom's side was Lutheran. Um, and so the, the most recent confession that the Baptists have, the Baptist faith and message of the year 2000, um, and every so often they'll try to update it. They updated it last they year, had a actually. Big, they had, like, there was a big Southern Baptist thing this past year, right? Yeah, every, every year they meet in convention. And so uh, the Southern Baptist Convention is only a united church body during the convention itself. And then they separate back out independently. They each send messengers, kind of like what we do with our synodical convention or synod in convention. Um, so they'll, they'll meet once a year and they'll talk about things and then they'll break it back apart. Um, and then they'll, they'll talk about that at their, ind- their independent churches, their congregations, and then they'll meet back up to, to yeah. further discuss. And so for the, a lot of times for the Baptist, uh, they're not really fully united with each other. Uh, they're each independent. And so they can have their own pastor and they, they uh, raise that pastor up or they call that pastor mm-hmm. from another congregation. And so that's one of the differences between them and us. Um, and that's one of the differences in a lot of churches. You'll have different ecclesi- ecclesiastical or different supervisory roles uh, for congregations um, and independent churches and things like that. This is kind of a broader view, but what something I kind of noticed, like the, the Baptists had a, their convention this year was a little bit contentious. I heard the it, Southern the Southern Baptist Convention, and also the, the LCMS convention this year was a little bit more contentious than it has been in years past. And it seems like all of that is tying back to, from from where I'm sitting, which is not a portion of really knowing a lot about it, but... It seems like all of that is coming from the church leaning more into the progressiveness. Well, not necessarily the church. For for the Lutheran Church, the Missouri, congregations. Maybe. Well, I was going to say for the for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, a lot of the dialogue that took place was related to Concordia, Texas. So one of the universities of the the system, the Concordia University system, um, within within the Baptist. Yes, uh, you have uh, the the big church out west. Saddleback, and that was one of the the main contentious points within the the, ba- the Southern Baptist Convention this last year, and it was even leading up from last year and the year before. Is what are the what are they going to do with Saddleback Church as they appointed um, a husband and wife pair to be uh, the lead pastors? Um, and so, um, previously, one of the things that came out from the the floor of the conventions was that. In order to be a, a pastor, a teaching pastor, a pastor over people, uh, a woman could be a pastor, a, a minister over ladies, but she couldn't be a minister over men. And so um, because of the way in which Saddleback went about things, um, they have been kicked out. They've been disfellowshipped from the Southern Baptist Convention. And that's not just... No, that's not just Saddleback. That's also a lot of their other satellite congregations right. and a lot of their under under churches that kind of fell under their authority. That seems to be one of the big points of contention lately. Yes, is is females as 
pastors, which to me, if you're talking about the spirit of the age and change, changing your doctrine for the world, like feminism is the, like it's changing because of feminism and everybody like understands that. And anybody who can think is like, yeah, you're right. We're changing this because of, of the feminist movement, but they don't, they, I don't know why they can't see like you're, you're changing it for worldly reasons then. Well, it's, it's a twofold thing. Part of it is that, but part of it is men are derelict in their duty. They I, don't want to step up. I agree with you. And so it, it, it's that whole two-pronged approach. Um, there are some who want to have women, uh, basically, I can do anything you can do. No, you can't. Yes, you can. So an argumentation as opposed to men not wanting to step up and do what they are supposed to do. Yeah. Uh, so, so men not wanting to be men, basically, yeah. is what, what gets you there. Um, and so... And, and that was kind of going back earlier. The Bible contains the word of God. We can separate the words of Paul who says, I do not permit a woman to teach because Jesus never mentions anything about uh, teaching uh, a woman or a man teaching, even though I don't know about you, but reading what Jesus does is he tells the, the apostles, the sent ones, uh, and they're all men, even though there are women there who are present among them. Uh, the women are the first ones to go to the tomb. They're the ones who last are the, at the tomb, but they're the ones who are not given the message to go forth and proclaim right Which so as far I, as the church goes i don't know why everybody gets bent out of shape about that when it, it's obvious that there are different roles for men and women right for years and years for forever right and, but we i don't know it's liberalism i think is yeah. has caused a lot of it but Yes. And I don't even just mean modern. I mean like no. classical liberalism. Correct. Yeah, and I'm, I seems to be the point of separation. Yeah, and I mean personally, I I have no problems in in conversing with a, a classic liberal, but you find very few of those these days. Yeah, there and and I've it took me a long time. I think this didn't happen to me until I was probably in my thirties because I, I grew up reading history and learning about the founding fathers and learning about classical liberalism and. And kind of growing up with that worldview. And then as I got older, a little bit later, I finally started looking at some of some of the the points that are given, some of the the theses of what they were saying and thinking, you know what, I I really don't believe that. And that was a very for me politically, that was a very changing moment for me when I realized, you know what, I I'm not a classical liberal. Because all of these things, like a lot of these things that the classical liberals proclaimed are in contention with my faith. Right. And I don't think a lot of Americans have that moment because a lot of them don't know enough about their faith. Right. I mean, we kind of see that in, in what is to be uh, withheld from students these days, uh, what books are to be kind of banned. Um, typically, in, in the past, the classical liberal position was any book is fair game, um, and and you have the the confessionals or the sorry the conservatives rather, they were the ones who were saying no, there are certain things that should not be in public libraries or in school libraries especially, and you have that these days. But you also have the left, also the progressives, also having kind of a banning of books. You can't have the Bible in school. You can't have the Bible anywhere in public. Uh, even though it, it's one of the hallmarks of what 
what goes on in hotels. You have a Bible, a Gideon's Bible, yeah. a good old Gideon's or Bible. Or the Book of Mormon, depending on which depending one you on stay. Which, <laughs> depending on which hotel chain you stay with. Yes, Marriott. Yeah. But um friends. but yeah, like I I think that a lot of people don't quite understand that there's a separation there because there you're right, there are no there are almost no classical liberals left. Right. Because they've all went They've they've jumped onto Marx instead. They gave they gave up John Locke right. and Thomas Jefferson yes. and the classical liberals, and they said, you know what, I kind of like these Marx Engels things better, and that's kind of where we ended up. And then you have like today, people who are considered conservatives are really classical liberals, right? They're, and then they're more moderates, yeah. And people who are left are are you know the the sons of the disciples of Marx, really, right? Depending on who they are, and there there are very few actual real conservatives who are like, no, I, I disagree with, with Locke and, and right. Jefferson. I'm more of a, you know, I, I agree with Burke. You know, you don't have a lot of those people anymore. Correct. Outside of, you know, and, and if they are, they're, they're religious, and so they're not really concerned with the political so much. They're more concerned with, with the religion. Right, yes. And, and so, like I said, I, I have no problem dialoguing with a classic liberal. Um, trying to talk with a progressive is... You can't. Oh, it, it, it's pounding sand or it's banging your head against the wall for 30 minutes. And after a while, I just want to leave. Yeah. Uh, well, I think... I What I think that is, is you're trying to converse with someone who has such a different view of reality than you do that there's no... There's no real common ground. Because even, even if they claim to be... the religious they're not quite religious like like you are right and it's it's such a secular which is a word that i don't really i don't really believe there's anything secular i think you're either one side or the other there's different religions being branded about right but i think that you you end up talking to somebody who comes from this very what we would call a secular worldview and and everything you are is based upon your belief you're not just your understanding of God and, and morality, but your belief in it. Right. And they're coming from a place of like, yeah, I understand that, but I don't believe it. Right. And that's a strange place to try to reach. Right. And so I, I thank you for bringing back up belief because this, this gets back into the Baptist a little bit. Um, so a lot of times you'll hear Baptists claim, well, I have no creed but Christ. And when you ask them, well, do you believe that? And they say, yes. Then you simply say, well, that is a creed. Uh, Credo in unum deum. I believe in one God. And so they are saying what they believe, but they're saying it's not a belief statement, even though it technically is. It's, it is a creed. It's what they're confessing. And so I, I like talking with Baptists about their confessions, um, especially the, the independent fundamentalist Baptists, because within the... Within the Southern Baptist Convention, you can generally understand what you're going to get yourself into in conversation with them. You, you, uh, you can read through the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, and you see where they're coming from. Whereas the Independent Fundamentalist Baptist, it's whatever Pastor Jim Bob says the last three weeks, and so you have to, there, there's always a, a restart. Sure where they're going to be. There's always a restarting when a new pastor comes into town or when new elders take over. Yeah. And so there, there's always kind of that new thing going on. Yeah. So it's a lot easier to talk to somebody when you know, at least know a little bit. Like this is why I find it easier to talk to uh, Catholics because I, I know at least a little bit about where they're coming from, right. and I can I can understand it. 
I even have an easier time a lot of times talking with Mormons because I met a few of them and I kind of, I don't understand it very well because it's wacky, but right. like I kind of, I get a little bit where they're coming from. Yes. And uh, like, like when, when you mentioned the Godhead earlier, that's something that like the Mormons talk a lot about, but like they would argue that they're kind of saying the same things we are, right. but just not the same way. And we would say, nah. No, no there, there, yeah. there's a whole different language being brought into right, play. Right, right. Um, for, for them, grace is uh, God supplying the lack in you. Um, so so God doing, or you doing all that you can do, and then God supplying the rest. So whether you do 2% or 98%, God is chipping in. Um, whereas we say, no, it's God's it's gift God. alone. It's right. God alone doing it. Um, it. It's all on God, nothing of, of me. And, and one of the things I like talking about, and I brought this up a couple of weeks ago at church, is uh, uh, we, we are told that we are dead in our trespasses. And so what does a dead person do? Stink. Yeah, they can do three things. <laughs> yeah. They can lie there, they can rot, and they can stink. Um, but they can't come back to life on their own. It takes God resuscitating us. Yeah. It takes God making us alive again. And, and that's where where we agree with the, the Calvinists or some of the Reformed about the total depravity. Uh, we, are all, uh, un, uh, we are all totally depraved. We have no righteousness in us. Uh, Paul says this in Romans chapter 3. He basically lambasts anyone and everyone, Jew and Gentile alike. No one is good. No one is righteous. No one does right. Uh, for, we are, for our okay. mouths are an yeah. open grave. Uh, we, the venom of asps is under their lips. They're under their tongues. We, we speak evil. This is what naturally comes from sinful man. Uh, and Jesus says it comes out of the heart. Uh, out of the heart comes sexual immorality, adultery, theft, murder, slander, adultery, everything. The heart of darkness. Yeah. And I, this is why I kind of have like a, I really like, I don't know if you've heard, I'm sure you have heard of it, the, the uh, sermon sinners in the hands of an angry god yes. from the old puritan yes like, jonathan edwards yeah i i don't know why but i, I just i love the sermon just be just reading it is is fun because it's it's the it's almost like the complete opposite of everything you hear from like the the universalist yeah. yeah it's like hey you're a you're like a spider hanging on a web and you're going down it's it's interesting to yeah me. One, one of the things we were taught at, at seminary was when, when he presented that sermon as well as other sermons of his he basically just read it and and while he was reading it uh the the kind of the the elders or the ushers kind of went around and kind of hushed the people down Calm because down. They, were, they were on the edge of their seats because they're bound for hell yeah, um, like, like people on the verge of suicide. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like losing and, it. And, and one of the things I, I preached about was I brought that into a sermon a while back, and uh, it was sinners in the hand of an angry and forgiving God. Because it's one of the things that separates the Lutheran church, especially from the Reformed, um, because for the Reformed, you, you never know on this side of heaven's glory where you stand. Uh, you hope that you're going to be part of the elect, part of the saved, um, but it's God making the decision and God alone making the decision. Uh, and, and we agree that we can't elect, we can't base our righteousness on our own. It's, it's God doing it. It's God, uh, as C.S. Lewis talks about, God wooing us or drawing us to himself. And it's all on God to save us. Uh, but we also won't go so far as to say, well, it's God's decision to damn those to hell. And so we'll talk about, no, it's, it's man's free choice to, to reject the Holy Spirit. Right. 
Um, it's man's choice to reject what, what the Holy Spirit comes to do because the Holy Spirit simply comes to give Jesus to the sinner, um, to, to bring the sinner from sin to righteousness. And when we, when we focus on God alone saving and God alone damning, well, that's the sinners in the hand of an angry God. Right. God, God just picking eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Yeah, the very last sentence of it is like almost a hint of the gospel, but not quite. Right. It's like 99.9% the law, and then like the very last sentence, like almost mentioned it's probably not. No. Right. But yeah, that's. I think that's why I'm drawn to it is because it has so much law in a time where nobody else wants to talk about the law. Right. Um, yes. Yep. But anyways, that's one of my, uh, I, I really hadn't read it in years and years and years until I started teaching again. It was actually in the textbooks at the school and teaching that section for me was a lot of fun. <laughs> Were the kids on I the edge, wonder of, if Adam, edge of their Adam, seats? Do you, I was in that class. Do you remember, remember. Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God? I do. you do. remember the law and the gospel discussion afterwards where I was talking about uh, law and gospel? Uh, not very well. You just remember. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah, I do remember. Yeah, the fire and the brimstone. <laughs> All right. Well, that's that's. I I went through most of my my stuff that I wanted to talk about. Good. Let's. We got some extra time. Um, I do want to talk about. Like, I want to get your take a little bit on. I talked about like the Lutheran, uh, convention yes. this year, and there was like. I want to talk a little bit because I don't understand it all that well, but the, the controversy, like it's all the way, it's like a year ago now, but there was this, the controversy because of the, the, the catechism, the new Concordia catechism and kind of the fallout that happened after that. Yes. Um, I'd just be interested to hear kind of your, not, you know, if you don't want to give your full yeah. take, that's no, fine. No, no. But I, just, I'm not going to give a full take because I still haven't fully read everything. Um, so basically what happened, uh, Senate of the 2019 convention was at, or asked uh, Concordia Publishing House to put out an, uh, an update, or not really an update, but to put out uh, what they kind of do with the catechism from time to time, um, a contemporary application of the large catechism this time, um, because the small catechism is something that we kind of teach the youth. And one of the things is when Luther wrote the, the small catechism, he gave it as the head of the house should teach his household. And then coming from that, he designed that based on what he had preached. And that was kind of brought together. His preaching notes was brought together in the large catechism. And so the large catechism was really given for pastors, uh, for those who couldn't think on their own that they could just read like a postal almost, a house sermon. And so it was given to, the large catechism was given to uh, the pastors to be able to preach the Lutheran faith to their members. And so every now and then you'll have a synod meeting and they'll, they'll ask Concordia Publishing House or Publishing House to, to update something, to do something, uh, whether it's to write a new curriculum for homeschooling, to write um, different theological books or different theological works. So... Synod tasked Concordia Publishing House with updating, or not updating the, the large catechism, but putting contemporary applications in uh, with, with the text of the large catechism. And so uh, two of the editors, or the two main editors, the general editors, were uh, Professor John T. Plus and Larry Vogt. 
Um, uh, he was formerly on the domestic task force uh, or domestic violence task force, as well as a, a bunch of other things in the past. And so these two were, were in charge of getting different people to write different articles uh, that talked about different things. So the first commandment, the second commandment, and so on and so forth. And, uh, and yeah, the fifth commandment with uh, Joel Bierman, that was one of the ones that was um, talked about a lot. Uh, not just by you, but about, but by a lot of others. Uh, and then uh, the inclusion of Stephen Paulson, uh, a former ELCA professor, uh, being included in the writing. That's the one that ruffled a lot of people. Correct. The Paulson, because he's not considered, you know, on our team, basically. Right. Missouri Senate. Yes. And uh, so, so that one, th- those two, those two articles, Beerman to a lesser extent, um, and, and John T. Nunez, uh, former um, president, I believe, of uh, Concordia Bronxville when it was still uh, a, a Concordia college um, before they shut down. Yeah. And th- that one, if I remember right, that one's the one, like, I didn't really have that much of a problem with the one that everybody said was anti-gun. Like, I, <coughs> That didn't bother me so much because I, I could see the argument he was making. It was the one by, by Nunez that, that right. bugged me the most. Yeah. And, and then, like I said, the inclusion of Paulson. Um, a lot of the hubbub before the convention was uh, why, why have a non-LCMS person write when you have plenty of LCMS pastors who could write? Um, and uh, knowing a little bit about the background uh, for, from these kind of uh, collegiality between Pless and Paulson, or at least Pless and Nestingen, and then Nestingen to Paulson. Um, Jim Nestingen, before he died, uh, he, he broke from the ELCA and went to the North American Lutheran Church. So it's kind of a middle-of-the-road uh, Lutheran Church, kind of not quite midway between the Evangelical Lutheran Church and the Missouri Synod, but it's, it's, more, it's closer to us than anything mm-hmm. that the ELCA has produced in the last in the last generation. Um, and so, uh, so the, the, a lot of the controversy related to what we are to do uh, with the book. So whether it needs to be um, separated out to two volumes, have a, a standalone large catechism again, uh, and then have a contemporary application. So that way you separate out uh, the, the, the wheat from the chaff or to uh, replace certain articles with other articles or to have kind of like with the uh, Concordia Lutheran Confessions, the updated uh, language for the, the confessions uh, where they had a first edition print. I still have my first edition. And they had a second edition print where you had different different uh, sections where it was clearly laid out what is the confession and what is kind of a um, an editor's note or something along those lines. Um, and even some of those editor's notes were slightly changed on the second edition. Um, or uh, to, uh, to just fully uh, accept it and, and applaud Concordia Publishing House and the editors for writing it, um, or to uh, anathematize it, to, to call it heresy, um, and, and never speak of it again and replace it Which with something Which is what different. a lot of people were yeah. yammering about. And it, it seems to me... Like what ended up happening from just a few people that I've kind of interacted with is a, a lot of those people were on that. Hey, we want this just yeah. Which, eh, I wasn't really in that camp, but right. I, I kind of talked to a few people that were, and um, it seemed what happened to kind of those types was a lot of those types got attacked themselves because 
Taylor was yes. his name. Yeah. And he, he got excommunicated. Correct. Which I'm not sure I 100% agree with all of it, but he, he is like a shock. He seems like a shock jock type guy. Yeah, Andrew Tate style. Right. But, and, I mean, different, but yes, yeah. Yes, but a, like a... A Nazi. He, right. He's a, he's kind of a Nazi guy. Yes. And then he, I don't know, he does a podcast with a couple other people, I think, that... You're, I, you're more in the know than I am. I haven't tuned into it, but, like, he got in... They attacked him, but then the, the problem that I kind of had, what I saw was, like, anybody who'd ever even talked to him, not even, like, agreed with him, but talked right. to him, seemed to get, like, pulled into it. Guilt, guilt by... Uh, guilt by association. Yeah. One of them was an Oklahoma... A guy, the the guy that originally posted the thing that went viral about the, his name was, I don't know his name. His Twitter handle was Ryan Turnips. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he had been, he, he'd been kind of friendly with the mailer guy. Right. But not, like, he'd never said anything that was yes. in, in alignment with him. But he got attacked pretty hard, too, to the point where he had a discussion with his pastor. And it was actually a guy that, when I was a kid used to go to church camp with one of the pastors. Right. And um, I think that a lot of people got a little bit worried about, like, uh, that the LCMS was going to go way to... This was the the gripe I had, was it seemed like we were going to... Okay, we're going to go all out and right. club the Nazi over the head. Right. Because that's easy, right? It's yeah. easy to club the Nazi over the head, but not as easy to come really hard against you know the the progressives right because there are even though we're the lcms there are a lot of correct left-leaning progressives in the church and i i yes. feel like the the worry everybody had was like okay we're gonna go against the right but we're not gonna go that hard against the left and that is a a problem like right and maybe not a problem right now but that's gonna end up being a problem in the future was was something that i saw right um but what I guess, how much of that did you see on your, your I, side? I mean, I didn't see much. Um, part of that was the move and everything else coming out here uh, or coming down uh, down and out. Um, and there were, there were, I saw some of it, but I didn't really see a lot of it. Um, and, and part of that was just trying to get established in Liberal and here in Beaver. Um, and so just trying to focus on what I need to focus right. on, not focus on... Uh, other things, other things that don't really pertain to, to my congregations. And so, um, and this is one of the things I was talking about earlier with, we can talk about vocation, uh, our callings or our stations in life. Um, so being that husband or being that father um, and, and focusing on that, kind of like what you guys were talking about last week with the uh, truckers and, and, and really making a, a, an investment in the community, which is something you guys have talked about a lot in the past. Um, as opposed to trying at the national level because, yeah, we can't change anything at the national level until we fix the local. Yeah, so. I, I think it's I think it's wrong. I think when that's why I, if there's anybody who's out there that's like, hey, what book should I, if they're kind of political like me, and they're like, hey, I want to read some of the Bible, what should I read? I'm like, Romans, you should read Romans. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's the yeah, that's if, the thing. If, that'll... if you want to read a gospel, read John's gospel. It's short, sweet, and to the point uh, about talking about the signs that Jesus does to prove that he's God. So yeah, but I, I just think that we're at a we're at a place right now where it kind of not I'm not one of those people who's like oh it's just a, re a repeat right. no it's not but it kind of rhymes like we're in right. the we're in the same seat 
in a way that Rome was. Yeah. And it, we're kind of moving towards like, even though we're secular, we have our own gods right. on a national level. Yes. That you're not allowed to, to blaspheme. Uh, pa- patriotism, Bud Light, uh, football. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, when I was younger, I was a lot more, I don't know, I feel like maybe this is a generational thing with kind of millennials, but, uh, and Gen Z, maybe me and I when we were talking about this the other day. is like, or, and Hunter was too, was like, I don't really feel that same patriotic attachment to the country as I do with my family and my church. Right. Which I think why a lot of people are getting kind of drawn to to the Christian nationalist type guys. On, right, correct. You know, online. What's that guy's? Wolf? The, are they brothers? Stephen Wolf, I think is his name. I don't, I don't no, know. But no there's clue. like, he wrote a book called Christian Nationalism. Okay. I think, which I haven't read, but there's a lot of people that are like, I think that's what's happening is there's a lot of yeah. people who are actually still Christians are who would have been, you know, kind of the patriotic types instead of being patriotic to the country are like, hey, I'm kind of leaning more towards this idea of of nationalism, but for my church. Right. Which I don't think is a completely bad thing. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I kind of... I, I grew up kind of similar, um, although my my before nine eleven my my patriotism was to Texas to the Republic of Texas. Uh, I am an American because I'm first a Texan, uh, as opposed to kind of the other way around. And my wife never never saw eye to eye with me on that one. Well, um, that's because you came from the south and I, she I came know. from the north. I know, and uh, <laughs> it runs deep. Yeah, and 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 as we we moved back to to liberal now, um, I, she's like. I thought you said we weren't in the South. I said, no, we're South adjacent. We're not in the South. We're not quite there no, yet. No, not no. quite. If, if we crossed the border, we would be in Even the South. Even the Panhandle's not. We're, I know. We're still we're north of the Mason-Dixon. Yeah, I know. But it, it, it just depends on your heart. That's how, true. how you feel in your heart. I mean, that's, I used that's what we hear about the world. I, would, I used to think I was more Southern until I talked to some Southern people. I was like, no, I'm basically just, I'm Western. No, yeah. It's I was a different say, thing. The, the Deep South, that's that's Mississippi, Alabama area. It's a different thing. That, that, or that, that's Southern South. culture. Like, I, I don't think I line up with Southern culture. I used to think Oklahoma was more Southern. And I think maybe downstate there are, but I think the, I think the west side of Oklahoma and Western Kansas, I think there's a distinct western culture that is separate from southern culture that is separate from whatever they have going on north of the mason dixon yeah but yeah uh, i was gonna say my my dad growing up he said anything north of dallas was was yankee yeah so well (laughs) i hate to be called a yankee but (laughs) i I don't guess i could call myself but i mean he he grew up around the border of texas and mexico though so so yeah different mindsets you guys were down uh, no, I, I grew up in the Houston area mostly. Okay. Uh, when in uh, what ninety two we moved back to to Tomball, a northwest suburb of Houston. Uh, when we moved back there, it was about ten thousand, and now these days it's about oh forty something thousand people. I mean, it, just as Pulling Houston up, grows, everything yeah. grows, uh, especially with people who work in Houston but don't want to live in Houston um, because of all of the uh, problems, the problems and, and policies and everything else. I don't think I could live down there because it's too humid. Like, I, I've been down there a few times, Houston a couple times, uh, down to, like, uh, south of San Antonio. Yeah. It's too heavy for me. Yeah. Um, it has, the humidity can't be anywhere near there for me to thrive. Right. 
Yeah, no, I mean, no matter where you are in Texas, uh, I mean, it could be 115 out past San Antonio, it could be 105 in Dallas, or it could be about 95 in Houston. It all feels about the same just because of the humidity levels. Yeah, I, I couldn't handle it. I Not good with humidity. Me. Yes. I, I'm a cold weather person yeah. still. My, my wife is too. She said negative 80 degrees, give me that any day of the week. Yeah. Anything north of 80, and I, I, I'm just saying it's inside. Sweating. Yeah, I am. I yeah. I hope to one day lose enough weight where all of a sudden, like, hey, I don't love cold weather as well, much as I used if, to. If you drink water, that really does help and regulate it's your body. Better than, it's better than beer. I've noticed that that, that, is, yes. that is my hang-up to losing more weight is is the my penchant for having a couple beers. Like, yeah. I, I do really good with my diet. I do really good with my calories until I have a couple beers. Well, I mean, it's just empty calories. Yeah, and it shuts down your metabolism. Yes. And I mean, I, I, I feel this about eight times a day. And I'm always peeing, but yeah, it, but it's, you're it's, not, it's water. Yeah, keeps you full. Where are we at? We're at Adam. Uh, an hour and 16 minutes. An hour and 16. We need to go for 15 more. Okay. I think. Unless no, that's fine. you need to prepare some more. No, I'm, I'm prepared. What, what do you want to talk about? What do I want to talk you, about? You've been, uh, I had a whole bunch of notes from you about, uh, about the podcast. That you gave to oh, me. Oh, yeah. Um, one of them was uh, we homeschool versus. Um, yeah, and, and my parochial. wife. Yeah, well, my, my wife, uh, she, she's public school all the way. Um, and I, I don't blame her there. That's, that's her background. That's her, uh, her bailiwick. And the, the problem that I have uh, with, with a lot of uh, schools these days, uh, public schools especially, um, is that they're, by and large, again, you'll have different mindsets coming from different population centers and everything else, but by and large, um, the, the, the quality of education has significantly decreased from the time even when I was in school. And I'm a little older than you guys. Not much. No, not much, but just a little older. And um, I remember taking AP tests and, and things like that uh, not not fully passing them to get the college credits. I should have done dual credit classes. Uh, my my school had AP classes, and they also had for seniors, and they also had dual credit classes. The dual credit class was taught at a college level, and you got college credit for it. Whereas the AP classes, uh, if you passed with a certain percentile, eighty percentile, uh, you would get college credit for it. Um, and, and and seeing what's going on these days, especially. Um, uh, from a lot of not not liberal public schools, but a lot of public schools around, and just hearing hearing what you get, you dealt with, uh, I mean, it's just a travesty of what goes on. Yeah, I, I think the first like the very first thing that popped for me is when I was in high school. I remember being handed a novel, saying, "You read this, right. and then we are going to discuss chapter yeah. by chapter." I learned the first week probably or the second week, yeah. that I couldn't do that. I could not give them a book and say, go read that and right. come back. None of them yeah. would read it. And in my day, there was a lot of kids that just wouldn't Ouch. read it. Hey, hey. tell me I'm wrong, Adam. Your, I, your classmates, well, not you. No, no, no. no, no. I, even mm-hmm. you. Don't don't lie to me. Even you, at a, at a sophomore level, if well, I would have said, go read this, and you knew that nobody else in your class was going to, would you have done it? I usually still read it. I'm proud of you. I don't know. Well, what about your classmates? Well, no. Uh, that's, no. Yeah. 
And I, I, that was the first thing I saw. I was like, okay, I can't, I can't just give them a book and tell them I'm going to have to read this book in class, yep. chapter by chapter, and it's going to take us a month to do. And that was, but in my mind, teaching is like, well, I have to do it. Right. If we're going to learn it, we have to learn it. Yeah. And that was my first hint of like, okay, that it's not the same as it was. Right. And I couldn't do as much as because if I can give the kids Hamlet and say read Act One and then let's discuss it. I have 45 minutes to get into it. Right. If we're reading it in class, it takes us a week to read Act 1. Right. And I have 10 minutes at the end of the class to, yeah. to go over it. That but would you, always piss me off. <laughs> I remember that. That made me really... I know. It did. It, once again, it was like it's holding, it's holding back the higher-level kids right. for the sake of the ones who just aren't going to do it. Yeah. And, and I, mean, I, I griped about that last yeah, week, so I, mean, I don't want to... Right. And so... I remember one of the assignments. It was a group project, and uh, we had to pick a book. It, it was English, and we had to pick a book, and we had to, to read the book and then give a presentation on it. So I picked A River Runs Through It. I picked that book because I had watched the movie beforehand, and in and, and reading the book, there was only one real major difference between the movie and the book. And I, I wrote I wrote my, uh, my classmates, uh, here's the, the only major difference, and then I gave it to them. I gave them a copy of the, the DVD, and told them, watch it, and we'll get prepared to talk next time, and then we'll present in class. And they didn't, and we got a C. Or no, we got a D. Um, and she said, and the teacher pulled me aside afterward, and she said, I'm going to give you an A, because you actually did the assignment. Your classmates didn't. I was wanting to give them Fs, but they would have realized that you got an A and they got Fs. So I just gave everyone a D, and then I gave you an A. Secret A. Yeah. So so I, I had a scarlet A uh, from a different from a different uh, perspective. Yeah, and that that was another thing I saw. The kids that did try, like they, like there was some joking when I was in school. If you were one of the kids that was kind of the nerdy kid, but it wasn't like it, it didn't have an edge to it like it had right. when I was there. Like the oh, you're try hard, you're actually trying right. to do stuff. And man, I tell you what, it, it seemed like, and this is me from, like, I wasn't there among the kids, right. but it seemed like if you were really making an effort, like everybody else, it wasn't lighthearted. It was like, okay, you're making us work harder, right. and this is a problem. Yes. And, I mean, I see that kind of uh, parents giving them giving their kids too much these days. Uh, getting the latest, greatest Xbox, PlayStation, Nintendo, whatever. Um, and, th- I mean, you just didn't have that extra income in when I was growing up. I mean, you had some families who would, who would do that, but nothing like what's going on these days. No, they're so distracted. There's yeah. there's a thousand other things to do right. than, than intellectual pursuits. Yes. I mean, I, I th- the quality of education is... Not anywhere near what it was. The the ACT scores when I was up there, the average AT, ACT scores were several points lower right. than when I was in school. Even the kids that I would consider the smart kids were making yeah. lower scores than... I mean, was that... I don't remember if it was the ACT or the uh, SAT. I think it was the ACT. They Well, I think both of them actually did increase the... the the, the way in which it was scored so that way they could show it's higher mm-hmm. uh, they, than previous years. Yeah, and then on the ACT here in Oklahoma, they made it to where you could go back and take just a single portion of the uh, test. It's like, oh, you can go raise this one score up. And I'm going like, right. they didn't let us do that. I, yeah. I would have had a, like a 30 if you would have let me right. do that. Yes. But, um, but yeah, it's it's noticeable. Yeah. And, and I mean, 
a lot of my problem with uh, with academia is not necessarily at the the high school level or, or even elementary school or anything like that. A lot of it really comes from my my disdain for what passes for education these days at the university level, um, and a lot of it is really because of the academic bloat. Uh, as you have more secretaries, you have more funding that's needed, and so uh, what's going on is is they're they're increasing tuition and they're not increasing the the actual. Quality quality they're not increasing the the academic prowess of the students um everything's being kind of dumbed down um and the 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 bloat is just there um a lot of colleges these days or, or universities especially are put are focusing so much additional dollars on student housing and making sure they have eight to ten xboxes for game nights and all sorts of other things and they're focusing on the act or the uh the 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 student life um, as opposed to focusing on the academia, yeah, the which education. is the point of a university. And so, I mean, there are a few uh, colleges, really, especially, that I really do like. Uh, Hillsdale has, has historically been one of them since I heard about them. Uh, a lot of these colleges that I'm going to be talking about don't accept any uh, governmental assistance. So no student loans, no grants from the government. Uh, it, it's a lot of um, self-funding uh, from donors and those who are looking at making sure the students get a quality education and they don't have a lot of fluff. Uh, so Hillsdale is, is my number one go-to. Uh, another one, uh, and this is coming from um, Carl Truman um, uh, at Grove City uh, College in Pennsylvania. That's, that's a number two. So Hillsdale's in Michigan. Uh, I knew about that at my time of seminary because one of the students from Hillsdale came and, and did uh, a deacon, or not a, a, a MA, a master's in art uh, for education, for theological education. Um, and then also Patrick Henry, Henry College in Virginia. Uh, those are kind of the top three. And there's a couple of other ones. I that would are, go there just for the name. Yeah. Uh, 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 the former provost, uh, Gene Edward Veith, he's a, a prolific writer for, for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Uh, he has a lot of, a lot of wonderful books. Um, so he was he was the former provost out there, uh, English English lit as well, um, and then there's also an upcoming Luther Classical College that's going to be starting up in Utah, uh, and that looks like it's a yeah. It, Where at? Uh, I'm not 100 percent certain. I'll, I'll get you the information. I'll I was find. surprised when when we lived in Utah for a year, there was a Missouri Synod Lutheran right. Church like at I, the college, like I right think, across. The I think road. it may be in Cheyenne, but I'm not 100 percent certain if it's in Cheyenne or not. Um, so it's it's near uh, near the University of Wyoming, uh, from what I understand. Um, it looks like it's going to be starting up in 2024, I believe. Okay. Um, so something That'd something cool. something down the line. All right, maybe maybe Alice will go to college someday. <laughs> so I was maybe leaning towards never. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. And and there there are a lot of other good uh, good quality educations that can be gotten out there from from schools like those that that don't accept governmental funding. Uh, so they're they're not relying on the government to kind of keep them yeah. afloat and not beholden to it Correct. in the same breath. Correct. There ain't nothing free if you take that money. Yes. There's a yes. There's a wink and a nod along with that every time. Not not just a wink and a nod sometimes. Yeah, sometimes a, a stern hand. Yes. Um, what were some of the other things that I um, remember you take? Yeah, one of the things I, I pulled up my list. Um, one of the things that you had mentioned uh, was kind of a, a Lutheran version of like Knights of Columbus. Yes. And uh, and and Pastor Jonathan Fisk, uh, I think he's in. I don't know where he is these days. Um, 
He might be in Illinois these days. I, I'm not 100% certain. I, I, I lost track of where he is. Um, but he, he started up a few years ago something called the Sons of Solomon, um, and it focuses in especially on uh, praying uh, the Psalter um, and, and, and joining together collegially um, for, for that, that community of the brethren. And so that was one of the things that, that I think would be good. Um, another thing that I kind of wrote down was uh, uh, maybe have uh, something uh, akin to what Martin Luther did when he went into hiding after, uh, after uh, he was uh, under the, uh, under the, under the um, emperor's uh, kill order, basically. Um, he went into hiding. His, his elector, uh, Frederick the Wise, kind of kidnapped him and then uh, stationed him at the Wartburg Castle. And, and Luther grew a beard and was kind of strangly, gangly, uh, and he masqueraded around as Junker York or Knight George. Uh, so I thought something fun could kind of come about from that. Yeah. Um, you, you could kind of relive those feudal days the with, Knights with the Knights of George <laughs> instead of the Knights of Columbus. <laughs> well, I think that, I think that would be good because I, I do think like a lot of, a lot of men have, and, and I, I don't consider myself one of these because I already have so many, like I already have a network of people. I already have things like a clan that I belong right. to, but there's a lot of guys that don't. And I think that's I, why I don't things, know if you want to say clan. Yeah, I have a clan. We don't wear hoods or anything. But there's a lot of guys that don't like and that's why I think things like the Knights of Columbus, right. things like the the Masons. Right. Like I think that's why there is a a pull because right. there's a lot a of fraternal organization. Yeah, there's a lot of men who have a hunger for right. some sort of tribal belonging. Right. And if you if there isn't an outlet that is positive, right. there there's going to be a negative. Yes. And gangs right. or, you know, the DNC or other things. Well, the RNC. Yeah, either one. But uh, but I think that the Knights of George, I, I kind of right. like that one. I mean, you, you can kind of uh, re- reimagine kind of uh, King Arthur and the Round Table. It's one of the, pod- or one of the uh, audiobooks that I'm listening to right now. Uh, instead of having the lances, you could have the, the ARs. Instead of having a, a sword, you can have a pistol and, and things like that. Something up close and personal as well as a long distance. Yeah, that could, so. that could work. Now, now, if only you had uh, an armored vehicle to, to masquerade or to, to run around on. We, we might get one, I think. Uh, I, I don't know if you want to, to let we that be known. We won't broadcast it. Yes. Um, and then, uh, let's see, what, what other... Uh, what other one did I want to bring up? Um, oh, uh, here. Uh, the, my, my, my opinion. Uh, growing up, and this is something that you expressed as well. Growing up, um, I, I was uh, my, my grandfather kind of instilled in me a, a conservative value, so, so a Republican value. Um, and then I found out about the Libertarian Party. Um, and, and I, I like the Libertarian Party, at least in concept, the old Libertarian Party. Um, but the way the Libertarian Party has drifted these days, it's more libertine than mm-hmm. focusing on right. liberty. And so uh, when, when it came time for the uh, 2016 uh, RNC convention and all that, uh, I was behind Ted Cruz. Uh, and the reason why I was behind him... Me too, by the way. Uh, yeah, no, I know. Uh, and before that, I was on to a, a, a Texas representative, a House of Representative person who I always thought back even uh, running against uh, W, George W. Bush, uh, and then going up against McCain and then, um, and then Romney as well, 
Uh, I thought Ron Paul should have been the, yes. the guy. Um, and, and, and so Ron Paul was, was uh, pushed forward by the Libertarian Party as well as another party, and that was the Constitutionalist Party. Um, and, and Cruz was pushed by the Constitutionalist Party in 2016. Um, and so, uh, but I remember during the, the debates for the, the 2016 uh, cycle, uh, they were saying about, well, we shouldn't elect a, a junior representative. And I was sitting here thinking to myself, in 2008, that's exactly what the DNC did in electing Obama. Yeah, it was, somebody, he was a junior senator. He yeah. was a junior senator. And, and you're lambasting Cruz for being a junior senator from Texas, whereas the former junior senator from Illinois was pushed forward to the national stage. But, I do think if, if it had gone the way you and me liked and Ted Cruz would have won, I think that today he would be in the same exact place that Trump is somehow looking at prison. Right. I don't think it matters what anybody would have done. I know Trump did not help himself at all. No. But I don't think it matters who wins. I think that's where we're headed is right. and that, towards that's your the opinion. division. That's right. my that's my opinion. Yeah. But. I mean, I ever since I started voting in 2000, 2002, I guess, uh, I, I've always d- desired to vote for the Come Lord Jesus Party. Uh, or Giant Meteor 2022, what, whatever, 2024, whatever. Uh, Giant Meteor or Come Lord Jesus, either way, just take us out from from. I this. don't think we're going to get no, to be I able know. to vote for that, but I think it's going to come anyway. I know. So <laughs> so uh, as far as, as politics are concerned, I, I have about as much trust in in the uh, the, the way the elections go as, as I trust uh, – tap water from mexico yeah i i'm i'm completely to the point where i i don't even it's weird to me because politics was so big for me for so long is like the thing in college that i really wanted to get into and it's weird to me now that it's like i don't care about it anymore and it's it's not that i don't care about it because obviously i still do but it i have lost my faith in anything positive actually coming out of it right. that I've got to the point where I like it's not the I don't think it's the thing that needs to be focused energy right. on anymore correct and uh and one last thing I didn't put this in the notes but uh our, our illustrious third third chair is not here today I was hoping We're Hunter was going to be here in him. Um, I was hoping he was going to be here because I was going to say we we have we have a common um a common voting pattern but for different reasons and and, and you're you're a second amendment guy mm-hmm. as well uh, for me, it's the the right to life, um, because the the way in which the democratic platform has gone um, from from safe, legal, and rare under Clinton uh, to, to all hail Moloch. Yeah, uh, I, I really think that I cannot, in my good conscience, even consider voting for a Democrat um, by and large, uh, as far as a, a national policy or national level goes. Because yeah, if you're not on if you're not a, a pro-abortion candidate, you're you're out as far as the the DNC is concerned. Yeah, and so uh, we we have a, a mutual agreement, uh, not necessarily for the Second Amendment. I I'm for it, but um, but I can't get beyond the the right to life. That's kind of where I am, and that that really didn't happen for me until we had our first kid, and not when we had it, like when we. We went to the doctor for the very first time, and they put that thing on the her ultrasound. stomach, and I heard that heartbeat. Oh, yeah, yeah. I became so immediately militant. Right. It, it like, 
turned my head around. Like, it surprised even me right. how... Because I was always anti-abortion. Right. And uh, I was always, like, pro-Second Amendment, but I was very libertarian type. Right. And that was, like, the moment yeah. for me where it was just like... Right. Nope. Yeah. It's, it, and, and this kind of comes back to the, the libertineness of the Libertarian Party because, I mean, they're... Yeah, you can have an abortion if you want an abortion. No, that's not a, a liberty. Yeah. Like, I could get behind the libertarians if it was a Christian version right. of it, but I, I can't in right. any other in any other respect. Because yeah. I, I'm with you. The, the right to life, and this is like almost a classical Correct. liberal take, is like yes. the right to life is the first one. Correct. And that's the reason for all the other ones. I, I mean, that's the reason for the Second Amendment in the, in the classically liberal sense is right. if you have the right to life, you have to be able to defend your life against somebody who wants to unjustly take it. Correct. And... Yeah, that's that's where it went for me to like. Yeah, I'm I'm no longer a libertarian. I am now. Yeah, I don't know a theocratic. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, every now and then someone will ask me uh, where would be a good place to live, um, and, and more and more these days I'm looking at Hungary. It's not looking bad over there. Yeah, I mean for, former Soviet bloc to to Christian nation. To Christian nation. So it kind of like Poland seems like. Yeah, but they're a little. Before, they're a little but they're I mean, starting it to on list. Ukraine and, and yeah, stuff. they're starting to kind of list leftward almost. But right. they're, I don't know. You always, I hear people talk about Poland like it's the Texas of Europe, and uh, I'm like, well, Texas is starting to turn blue too. So, uh, but yeah, pur- Hungary. Purple, yeah, Hungary seems like maybe yeah. not so bad. For me, it's right here. No, I know. It's Indian country. <laughs> I, I know. Just be out here by myself, hiding in the bushes. Yeah. Now, like I said, hung- Hungary is the, the, the it place these days, for as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I mean, unless unless you can own your own island, and then why not? I don't know. There might be some of those up for sale that you could buy. Uh, I mean, I think Jet uh, Epstein has one. I don't, I don't know, maybe. Surely that one's probably for sale by now, right? I don't know. I don't they, know if they you'd may, want to own found, that one. They may have found a new buyer that already. Might be, it might be a little cursed yeah, or, or, maybe. or dangerous. Well, I mean, that's why you have the, the, the blessing of a house. I'm sure we could do a blessing of an island. We might We might need to. What I want, because we're getting closer to the end, what I want to end with is kind of in this vein. Um, the idea of, because we always talk about the lizards, right? Yes. And, and dark forces and... And demons and the devil. Yeah. And I, I want to know just from, I've always had this theory that like if, if you're somebody who's a man of the cloth, a priest or a pastor or a reverend or anybody who deals with the divine. Right. I feel like, like when you say in sermons where, where Christ puts up a church, the devil moves next door. Yeah, the devil puts up a chapel. Right. I feel like people like yourself who are... Basically, you know, Christian soldiers, people who are fighting for spiritual things, wrestling with principalities, I feel like see more of the darkness than civilian people, like what you would call civilians do. I don't know if it's so much that we see more of the darkness, it's that we're around the darkness more. Um, And one of the things that I've heard um, a pastor say... uh, this is from Mike Horton. Uh, I I know him because of White Horse Sin. It's a podcast on the east or on the West Coast, out in California. Um, and he talked about how um, th- the family of a pastor is different because they're around the sacred things more often, so they get accustomed to being around them. So they have a tendency, and we see this especially in the in the Bible with the some of the Jewish priests. 
uh, they have a tendency of taking for granted the things of God. And, and when you take for granted God or you take for granted his things, you start losing a focus on what's the main thing. And, and the reason why I'm bringing that up is because we are, I, I'm in the scriptures, if not daily, uh, or if not multiple times a day, at least daily. And, and part of the reason for that is we never leave our first love. Our first love is Jesus. We should never leave him. And so when you're when you take a step back and you see the depravity in the world, you see how utterly sinful humanity is, you realize it more often. And so um, not having uh, kind of a, a personal fight with the devil or fight with the demonic, uh, one of the families in Helena where I was where I first started being a pastor, um, I got a phone call because uh, their their child was seeing things. And this child had been to some psychologists and sociologists and all sorts of people. And um, the father took me in the home and said, um, behind this door, and he opened the door, he said, there's tallies. And it's every time this kid has seen a demon in this particular room. And I went in and and blessed the house. And uh, two weeks later, he said, there has not been another tick since you came and blessed the house. And it really got me thinking because, I mean, there was a time when uh, even the, the Lutheran Church, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, didn't believe in the demonic, um, that, that certain pastors were being taught, well, it's, it's, it's really just a, a psychology problem. It's really just a, a problem of the mind, and let, let the therapist help. But no, it, it's a demonic problem. And we see this all the time if our eyes are attuned to it, if we're open to realizing, as I said earlier, that yes, there are good spirits and there are also bad spirits. Not every spirit is a good spirit. We are to test the spirits, test if uh, an angel coming from heaven uh, says things are which are in accord with the Bible or things which God would never have an angel, a true angel say. And when we lose our focus off of that, we're losing our focus off of Jesus. Um, and this kind of comes back to if, if Jesus is not our first love, if his word is not our first love, we've abandoned him and, and the devil has a heyday. So I hope that answers the, the question in it, a roundabout way. Uh, yes. I, I was wondering like if you had experienced something like you just yeah. explained, because yeah. I feel like, like you're saying, like you see it, like you notice it. Right. And I don't, I think there's a lot of people walking around that, don't notice it right. or maybe can't see it. Right. And I, I feel like that's something that again, kind of the progressive version of the church gives credence to when it when it doesn't ever talk about it or again like, eh, yeah. Don't worry about demonic stuff. That's just that's just stuff for horror movies or something. It's like we live in such a insulated society where people really have never seen true terrible darkness that they they just don't believe it to be true or well but we do but it's just so normalized these days right i mean as as you mentioned earlier about molek about about the abortion industry yeah i mean that is true and utterly truthfully and utterly evil masquerading around as a a helpful organization for women for women's health yeah you slap a smiley face on it and and it's uh health insurance or you know health care yeah um one of the things that would be good to to read through 
uh, would be uh, Robert Bennett. Uh, he's a, a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod pastor. Um, he wrote two different books, uh, Not Afraid or I Am Not Afraid, um, about um, about going into, uh, especially he, he's a missionary or he was a missionary and he went especially into Haiti uh, where they have a lot of, uh, of exorcisms taking place. And then he wrote a second book and it was Afraid and it was about the demonic being real. Uh, so those would be two good books to to read. I'll check those out. Yeah. Ha- Haiti seems like a dark place. Yeah, I mean, I mean just voodoo historically, and everything else. Yes. Like, I think that there are places that, and I don't know if it's just because of the place or if it's because of the culture, the people that live there, but there seem to be places where the darkness is more defined. And, like, I don't know, in Haiti when there was the, the slave rebellion and just everybody was just, absolutely murdered anybody that was that was white was killed even kids like just darkness right and and i don't think a lot of people in the modern world see it or or want to acknowledge it right and i think a lot of times when all of a sudden if somebody like that does see it it kind of just shatters them sometimes i mean for in kind of coming back full circle where we started um for, for a lot of the mainline liberal Protestant churches, hell does not exist. But if hell does exist, there are only a few, there are only a handful of people there. Hitler, Hitler. Genghis Khan, and my good for nothing ex-boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of the, the, the joke. Um, but, but they don't believe hell exists. And, and then by that logic, heaven doesn't exist either. And I mean, we kind of see that in, in some of the, the preaching and teaching that goes on, um, that, that, we, we are to strive for our best life on earth because, well, it doesn't really matter in the end because there's nothing coming after this. And that's one of the, the negative mindsets that we hear a lot from kind of pop American Christianity, um, that, that you can have your best life now. And, well, if you're having your best life now, then uh, I don't know what's going on in heaven if your best life is now. Right. And that, I think that's easy for modern people because they have... You know, we have modern medicine. We have Netflix. No, there's hardly anybody is is starving or freezing to death in the winter. Right. And then when you have Christianity explodes so big back in the Middle Ages, because it was this hopeless time and right. people are starving in the winter and everything. The plague. Yeah, the plague's going around. It, it's just a like their life is is so terrible that really does cause people to flock to the church. And now you have the Kind of the opposite seems like going on. Everybody's right. moving away because of what do we need it for? Yeah, which makes me think or makes me wonder, like, is there is there going to be some sort of really really bad thing that happens to bring people back to the faith? God brings good out of terrible situations. Yes, but anyways, well, we are Adam, at an hour forty six. Okay. Hit that outro music. All right. We're going to do this again. We need to have Hunter back. We're going to have a part two. We're going to do it again. Thanks for coming on. Oh, you're this welcome. This was really good. Now I'm excited. I'm more excited to go to Bible study now. I don't know what we're talking about. Good. <laughs> we'll make it up as we go. That's what we do. <laughs> I had days like that at school where I just showed up and yeah. wing it. Once I, once I get there, I'll look through the lesson and, and we'll figure out what we're going to okay. do. <laughs> Adam, I noticed that you didn't play a whole lot of sound bites this time. I think you were in, you were engrossed. 
This didn't really seem like a sound bite. It really didn't. It, yeah. it wasn't a sound bite type. Yeah, it seemed episode. more like a, I don't know, thoughtful, just pay attention. Maybe, maybe it needs to be edited in post. <laughs> <laughs> we'll edit out that middle part, and that's about it. I think it all needs to stay in. Good episode, though. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I ran out of, I ran out of pipe tobacco and beer. Catch you next time on the Capo Podcast.